We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 156. And this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me today during the international break, as it's coming to a close, is Frances Tomas. Bona diada, Frances. Muy bona diada, Tutom. Um, hola, buenas tardes, buenas noches, good morning, wherever you are. I'm delighted to be here on the pod again. Let's get started, man. Well, Frances, I'd be remiss to just ask you, let's give a, uh, for those who do not speak Catalan, and again, my Catalan is uh, basically limited to Bona Diada, uh, just explain what's going on today. All right, so today is a historical day. Um, today marks the, marks the most important day in the Catalan calendar. It is the day in which the Diada is celebrated. Um, it has political um, connotations, obviously. Um, I don't really want to go into the detail of that. I'm sure everyone can Google that part. But basically, the, the, the celebration itself is to do with the pride of being Catalan, the fact that um, they've got the freedom to to celebrate their identity and to to show their colors around the streets. Um, obviously, in the last, I would say, two, three, four years even now, um, it's more of a Catalonia-Spain divide, and it's more of a celebration of the Catalan side of that. But I... I want to stay neutral, especially on the pod. So I'm just going to say that it is a chance to celebrate Catalan culture, um, Catalan cuisine, and most important, Catalan identity. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny. I go back previously in the summer. You can go back to this show as well when I interviewed Chef Daniel. And we did speak uh, about about different foods. And when the podcast was released, there were things that he would food and and uh, uh, things that seemed to be just uh, purely Catalan that he would that other people would respond to me and say, well, no, that they have that in Valencia. They have that in, in the Basque country. And there is a merging between Catalan culture and Spanish culture and all these different things. And uh, this is definitely a day where, uh, again, we're going to stay a political here, but you can do your research on this and, and see that culture is both Catalan, it is both Spanish, and this is a, uh, a celebration of the things that are purely Catalan. But today we are going to celebrate our listener questions. That is what we have on tap today from La Ronda. 
And one of the things to celebrate today is a question. We're going to start with Rick. The Barca Femini dominated and thrashed, we're going to say, CD Tacon. That's what we're going to call them here. But they are the Real Madrid-affiliated yeah. women's team, 9-1, in what some are calling the inaugural women's El Clasico. But I want to hit back on that a little bit, Frances. I'm going to start by just answering this and, and saying that if you want the match review, I did watch that, and I put that match review up on our Patreon over at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. But for me, in that match, you know, it wasn't a contest, even though Real Madrid or CD Tacon, and I should say actually here that, that CD Tacon was promoted to the Primera Division, so this is even that team's first division, first time in the first division, and Real Madrid and Florentino Perez put a little bit of money, uh, injected a little bit of money so far to bring in some, some top-quality players, but it hasn't been a full overhaul and a full injection of money, uh, so it, it is largely made up of the same squad that was in the second division in Spain a year ago, and just watching that match, uh, again, I don't want to give away exactly what it was in, in the, that I saw in that match, but the likes of Alexia Puteas, the Barca Femini captain, as well as one of the new additions... Now, now, people are all pretty sad that the, the the English striker in Tony Dugan has gone to Atletico Madrid, but she has been replaced by Jenny Hermoso that came off the bench, got a hat trick. But for me, I was really impressed by the Norwegian winger that was brought in, Carolina uh, Graham Hansen, and she was fantastic on that right wing. I'm interested to see what happens. She came over from Wolfsburg in Germany, who, like Lyon, those are some of the powerhouses. Uh, and so getting her from Wolfsburg was definitely, a, uh, I, I say, a bigger piece of news even than uh, thrashing Real Madrid in the Premier Division opener. But as I, uh, with the assist from Ellie here in the Facebook group as well, Sandra Panos, the goalkeeper for Barca, said that Atletico Madrid is the rival. She's absolutely right. Atletico have won the last three Premier Division titles. And uh, Frances, I think it's going to be a few years where, uh, actually, that's not where I want to go. Where I want to go with this, Frances, for you is, do you think that it is good for the Barca Femini to basically have this manufactured new rivalry with this Real Madrid opponent just because of the name of it? Or do you agree with Panos? And I guess with me in that Atletico Madrid, Barca Femini should continue to be pushed as uh, the, the top match in Spain for very good reason. And it's going to have to be, a, a, it just, it seems inorganic to me. It seems unnatural and inorganic to try to push, uh, even if it's Atletico Madrid or Real Madrid, or if it becomes, again, Barca Real Madrid. It's just, it's this inorganic thing, but you think it's, do you think there is a merit to it that it's going to happen just because it's Real Madrid, Barcelona? I think so. I think that the rivalry obviously goes back nearly 100 years now. And I think if you've got anything called Real Madrid and you're playing against Barca, that's always instantly going to be a Clásico. Like, I'm going to throw back when my brother used to play for Barca and they were under 11s. Um, and, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is just 11-year-olds running around a football pitch. And when they played against Madrid in the Canal Plus tournament in Brunete, the, the, it was, the stadium was full. There were people queuing up outside trying to get in. Um, in terms of the Femini, I think, the, the biggest deal for the feminine football, for um, female football, is for people to go to the matches. And in Spain, traditionally, that just hasn't happened. Um, the rivalry between Barca and Atletico, as you very correctly said, is the one that has the quality match. And that's the one that basically they are at the top of the table or second or at the top of the table throughout the whole season. And, and that's, where the, that's where the quality football is. That's where the sporting rivalry is. But I think... Anything that's called Real Madrid, and if it's Deportivo Tacón, um, then so be it. I think that's where the Clásico will be. Obviously, it's um, it's very one-sided. It was 9-1, and that is incredible in a sense. But then if you think about it, if it's a team that just got promoted and a team that has invested very heavily 
relatively obviously to, fe- to uh, feminine football, fe- football femenino over the last three, four years, then that makes sense. But no, I really do hope, uh, and don't, don't misquote me here and don't misunderstand me here, but I really do hope that Madrid actually get better so that the, the league can be not just a two-horse race, but at least a three-horse race, so that the, the whole environment, the whole competition, the whole rivalry even, can continue to grow, because that's good for football, uh, for boys and girls, but definitely for the girls' football as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's not just even with the top two. Uh, Levante has a pretty terrific Feminino program, as does Athletic Bilbao. Uh, and, and then you have the Real Sociedad growing a little bit. And, you know, there is some quality there. But with the women's game, you see that it is really feast or famine in terms of talent, where there is, you know, uh, you see how Lyon just dominates at the moment, uh, where mm-hmm. I think it just seems to be that individual talented players wind up going even farther as in terms of getting results and trophies than it comes to uh, the men's side of things. And so for the women's game, again, Atletico Madrid have won three straight La Liga titles, so uh, it's time, or the Premier Division title, so it's time to get behind the Barca Femini. Uh, they want to get do well domestically, and they obviously want to repeat and be... Uh, they were the first Spanish division team to make the Champions League final, so they want to do it uh, all over again. But let's switch over to the men's first team. Uh, we're going to get a question from Deb Deep. Should management be seriously looking into the medical team. The incredible poor injury record for most of the first team for the last two seasons is a cause for concern. And I think he's also alluding to the fact that um, it's reported that Messi will almost certainly miss the game against Valencia, who are now missing their manager in Marcelino. And if you think Barcelona has some pretty uh, difficult issues, well, Marcelino gets uh, Valencia basically from the relegation zone all the way up to finishing fourth last year, a Champions League spot. And now because he had a... uh, We'll say a divide with Peter Lim, the president. He is gone, and now uh, uh, Albert uh, Salades has been has replaced him, and now Valencia have to come to the camp no uh, with new blood. So again, for all the chaos at Barcelona, always take it with a grain of salt because uh, Marcelino. Well, I don't know, Frances, because everyone wants Valverde out anyway. <laughs> so maybe that's what the Kool Aids would have wanted. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of fans would just change clubs just to have their manager sacked at this moment in time. Um, first things first, I'm very happy for Celades for um, finally getting a top club in Spain. Uh, I think he's worked really hard to, to get who he is. Obviously, he start, he's a La Masia guy. Um, he grew up in our system and he came up, uh, started playing at first team level. I think it was the mid-90s, um, around... The no, what am I saying? No, you're Sorry, right. 1995. Yep, 1995. He started. He made his uh, Barcelona debut. He play. was. Yep, 1995. Oh, so yeah. And he went to Celta in '99. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as stupid as I thought. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, he started playing in the mid '90s, um, around the same time that Xavi was there. Um, but obviously, Xavi occupied the space and Celades, even though he was a bit of a backup player for a while, never really got it at Barca. Um, I do remember when he started as a player that he had a very strange record that after playing. I want to say 20 or 30 games. He hadn't committed a single foul and he was playing either as a central defender, but most of the time as a holding midfielder. So that's a bit of trivia for you. Um, Obviously then as a manager, he's been here, there and everywhere, but mainly working in Spain with the under 21s. And uh, I think Valencia has got a lot of talent. They always have had, to be honest, um, especially in the last 10, 20 years, a lot of talent coming through the ranks. So I think Pelades, and his knowledge of, um, if you want to call it the Spanish cantera, the Spanish youth system, I think that's a good move for them. Now, going back to Barca and the points you made, I think Messi, obviously, is the biggest talking point. 
Um, I'm not worried about Messi being injured. Um, I think that the longer he's injured, the longer he's resting. And, you know, I think it's quite obvious that we are in September and, you know, the, the, the decisive games are still a long way away, at least, I mean, five, six months away. And I think the most important thing for Messi is that he recovers fully and that he comes back when he's absolutely ready. Um, I think Messi, in terms of mentality, if you rewind five, six, seven years ago, he would have already played, you know, he would have already fought his way back into the team. But I think his maturity in terms of understanding his body, understanding his his status, his, his stature, his um, importance within the team, I think he's doing the right thing to to rest up and to make sure that when he comes back, his batteries are fully charged and we pretty much eliminate or get as close to eliminating as we can all the sudden eventualities, which would be um, a re-injury, if that makes any sense. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I agree with that. I think in younger days, Messi would have already rushed himself back from this. And it's funny to me, you know, I had a YouTube video on this. I'm plugging that as well. The Barcelona podcast, just type it in on YouTube. I had one about uh, Messi Dependencia a few weeks ago. And I looked at some of the numbers there. This was the fourth longest that Messi has been injured in his career. And again, this is one that could have been the uh, fifth or sixth longest if he had rushed himself back. But he's taking his time, and he is over 30. And so every injury, just like we saw in that last year or two of Xavi, every little minor injury, every little knock, uh, they, they just want to take a little more time, particularly because this is a muscle one as well in his calf. Uh, the thing that, Debdeet, I want to respond to, though, with the medical team, again, my worry is not necessarily Barcelona's medical team, because I think when it comes to certain players, when you look at uh, Rafinha for so long, and now Rafinha, uh, and it really is unfortunate having just gone to, to Celta de Vigo, and we were praising him for the first few matches in the preseason with Barcelona, and now here he is going to Celta de Vigo, and he's already injured there, in the same way that Dembele gets injured. And it's unfortunate, but there are guys, and this is across all sports, there are guys that are more injury-prone than others, and uh, Dembele is one of those, Rafinha is one of those, and Per is one of those. Uh, Messi is not one of those, but uh, he does have so much high usage, he does get a few knocks, and that's how every player that's going to wind up playing a ton and ton of time, they wind up getting injured uh, quite often. I think Puglio was one of the only ones I can think of, and even he had uh, his knocks in times when he was forced off the field, uh, probably played with a few concussions as well, unfortunately, back then in that time. But the other thing I would also want to bring to the attention is the amount of preseason travel. And I I know it it comes off an excuse, but um, I would love to see, and I think they're starting to do this, a little more research on injuries that are occurring with these top teams when it comes to the amount of travel and time on planes and time uh, particularly the South Americans flying across the ocean between these international breaks, the preseason trial uh, travels for Barca in both the U.S. and China, uh, and then the, all the FIFA tournaments and international play over the summer as well for all these different teams. Again, there was a Copa America this summer. We have a Euros coming up, uh, and then the World Cup every four years. So there are tons of competitions. And now with the Nations League, there's even more. And I even had a YouTube video this week about uh, international break and how the fact that for the Europeans, they might be traveling on planes a little less because things are closer in Europe. But it seems like, unlike the South Americans and the North Americans at the moment, every single window matters because of the Nations League and because of Euro qualifying. And it seems like everybody in Europe is always playing an important match. And that just puts a stress on these guys' bodies because these guys are international starters as well. Uh, So for Barca, I'd say you have the best players in the world, but the unfortunate side of that coin is that you also are having them run ragged 
the whole year long because of club and country commitments. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily the medical team. It's just Barca have to be able to trust in, and Valverde has to just trust in the depth of squad that he has. I mean, these are we're going to get to Casalenia later, but Casalenia, uh, these are matches for him to be playing in, uh, particularly with guys coming back from international break. He was with the Spain U21s, but still, Alenia, this, these are the times for him. So we're going to get to him uh, in a few minutes. In the in the dream team days, in the Johan Cruyff um, era as manager, the pre-seasons were in Peralada, which is northern Catalonia, in the in the greenery, normally in the cold, to be honest, and always in the same te- in the same place. It was called a stage, a pre-season stage um, in Catalan. Probably in English, it's called stage, but anyway, that's what we used to call it. And all it was is going to the mountains for two weeks, twenty days, and rather than traveling for games, um, definitely not abroad, but not even within Catalonia, or definitely not around Spain either. There will be teams coming to the hotel, and they will be playing games there. You know, that's how Johan Cruyff in the 1990s, early 1990s, used to do it. And that was successful. I'm sure if you ask Valverde, because Valverde was a player at the time, obviously, and he played for us as well. So if you ask Valverde what he would rather do, I'm sure he would rather lock away in a relatively, you know, fresh place and just have his players there for 20 days, um, getting ready and, you know, doing the work in terms of fitness base. We talked about it in previous podcasts as well. But doing the, the base of fitness the proper way, avoiding injuries, avoiding excesses um, in terms of traveling, in terms of all sorts of factors. Um, even media attention, I would say, plays, plays a part mentally, especially. And if he could be away from all the spotlights for 20 days with his team, I'm sure we'll have a much better season. But, you know, um, what is it? Mr. Green Money dictates what happens. Is yeah. that an English sentence? It's not, is it? But, you know, uh, what I, mean? I get your point. Yeah. Yeah, but there you go. That's, that's that. Yep. So, and that's something that Valverde is going to have to manage. And unfortunately, when things don't work out, um, you know, Dembele is the guy who gets, you know, uh, criticized for getting injured. But uh, the last point I will give to you, Deb Deep, on that is the fact that, you know, again, I'm a big NBA guy. So it's Frances. And it's, uh, it's funny to me that for the Phoenix Suns in the last decade, between Steve Nash and uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Amari Stoudemire, uh, they're careers they say were prolonged and they did much better when dealing with the league renowned and they were considered the Phoenix Suns medical staff were considered the best in the league and uh when Steve Nash and then Shaq in his in his few stops after that at the end of his career and then Amar Stoudemire coming to New York those players were never the same and it seems like the injuries they always had that were maintained and managed well by the Phoenix staff wound up getting worse and basically all of their injuries wound up ending their career uh, after that fact so I, I think there is just a little bit of something where there are medical teams that are probably better than others, but Barca, with the money they have at their disposal, they have the best of the best in terms of technology and staff and doctors and all those things. So uh, I would say that that Barca is not that's not a place that you would put blame on them. However, a guy who does get blame is Valverde, who, with the points that have already been dropped, Miner asks, since this is one of the worst starts to a season since the Guardiola days, what changes should Valverde make in order to be contenders for the 2019-2020 La Liga title? Well, the main change he needs to do, I don't think he can do it, is ensuring Messi and Suarez come back, you know, and, and having all of his key players back into the squad in terms of health. Um, as you said, the list of injuries is long. Then beyond that, I think he needs to give his players more freedom. Um, but then again, we could be wishing, you know, for blue skies every day of the year and it probably won't happen, you know, because we are not the manager. We don't know what's going through his head and we're not in his situation. You know, these guys fighting for his job every single day and he's got criticism around the whole world 
whether he does X, Y, or Z. It doesn't quite matter. He's going to get the same amount of criticism. So if you put yourself in his shoes, he needs to protect his job. And by protecting his, in order to protect his job, he needs to fill the best 11 that he can possibly think of every single time. And I think the biggest help for him will be having his best 11 back. Obviously, once that happens, it's enabling everyone to grow and enabling everyone to have enough time together in order to um, combine, in order to understand each other's movements. But at the same time, and here's the conundrum, is ensuring there is enough rotation so all his key players, and I'm including 15, 16 players in this number, are fit once, I would say, January, February comes. And that's, that's when the, um, the competitions are decided. And, you know, you need to have a very consistent group of players that get there. And there's a lot of things to balance. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the thing I want to bring up here, uh, questions we've had about De Young, both from Francisco and uh, Aiden or Eden. Uh, Eden or Aiden, give me your pronunciation. I'd love to get that right next time. But they asked about De Young and how he can be maximized in the Barcelona system and how Valverde can combine De Young and Busi, uh, Busquets. Now, the thing I want to uh, give attention to, and I think this does... I'm going to start this conversation with talking about De Jong because you're absolutely right about how the squad will look when Messi and Suarez come back, um, which we don't actually know the answer to yet. What that front three of it will be uh, Griezmann, De Jong, I mean, excuse me, Griezmann, Messi, and Suarez. But then when Dembele comes back in the mix, what does that rotation look like? That said, with De Jong, who's been starting in central midfield, he has been starting with uh, Busquets playing in his normal role of defensive midfield. And Barcelona fans are getting frustrated because you watch his performance against Germany, that 4-2 win, he had a goal there, and you watch just the ability he has to roam and go around the field. And the thing that I do want to mention, though, is that we are seeing a Barcelona without Messi at the moment. And the way that De Jong is you know, getting pushed out to the wing at times, it looks like that. But you think about how that system is going to work when Messi is back in there. Now, the big indictment we've had of Barcelona over the last few seasons is that defensively, the pressure has just not been there when the ball is turned over because you have the likes of Messi and Suarez who don't necessarily press all the time because of how much Messi does conserving his energy and putting the weight of the offensive load on himself that he doesn't really have the legs, especially at his age, to press anymore. So I, I think the system that Valverde is employing with having the young fade, fade out to the wings, and that, that's what those heat maps are telling you. But when you look at where he's meant to be set up, he is set, setting up as a defense, as a central midfielder, and that's where he's playing for most of the time. But the system of Alverde is employing without Messi is interesting because it looks like a system that is preparing for Messi's return to that system, if that makes any sense, Frances, with, with, with him going out to the right wing and playing defensively where he is, so that when Messi does come back, they're going to continue to do that. The reason why Ajax and the Netherlands, you see the best out of De Jong is because those systems revolved around De Jong. He was the key player there who uh, who maybe not defensively is allowed to roam because he does play, but he plays in the Busquets role. So unless it's De Jong in for Busquets, and then, Bus and then De Jong is given that, that free range to do that, uh, but uh, then you're looking at the fact that for the Netherlands, you have Depay, you have Ryan Babel, who uh, is, even at his age, a guy that has to work hard or he's not going to play. Uh, and you have players that have to pressure and have to give uh, a lot of effort in ways that Barcelona's trident other than Griezmann, don't necessarily do. Uh, so I think that's a conundrum that Valverde has. And as I said, not to kind of sidestep answering these questions, but when it comes to maximizing De Jong and when it comes to seeing what Valverde can do to fix this team, it all comes down to what happens when Barcelona's best player and the best player in the world comes back onto the field. For sure. I also want to add another element over there, which is Galones. Uh, I think in English is hierarchy. 
So mm-hmm. if you are, because in the first game of the season, you had the young as defensive midfielder, and then you had Alanya and Roberto, right? That is what Valverde was thinking. He was thinking of basically giving the, the keys of the, of the Ferrari um, to the young and then see how that panned out. It didn't work out. So then he was forced, or he decided to, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, to put Busquets back in. But once Busquets back comes in, then he is sort of a king, isn't he? He's a high-caliber, experienced player, and within the dressing room, he's a captain. You know, So his area of influence, that is his area of influence. And the young, if he's going to be playing in the same eleven as Busquets, needs to learn that within sort of the holding midfield, he's, it's called the area of influence. So within his area of influence, that is Busquets' domain, if you want to call it that. Obviously, if he's playing as a left interior, left interior, then you need to take into account that Jordi Alba is his own man, you know, especially pushing forward. So he needs to not go into Busquets' space because then he becomes ineffective. He needs to make sure he combines and, and sort of evacuates spaces enough so that Alba can push forward. Then he hasn't had a consistent left winger in front of him either, uh, that has been Carles Perez, it has been Rafinha, it has been Griezmann even at times. So the lack of consistency, and that's what I said about Messi and Suarez not being there, and obviously that's what you said as well. I think he's just finding his feet, he's finding his space, and uh, at the moment he's not quite working. But then again, it's mid-September, so I'm not worried. I think that the problem would be if the players that we sign had no quality, and even when they go to the national teams, they make no impact. And they're not even starting there. But obviously, this is not the case. It's just a matter of um, everyone understanding each other's games and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Yep, I agree with all that about that point, that it it has something to do about blending the old with the new. And Valverde, when he went with the new, it didn't necessarily work. And so there has to be a blend of of the two. Steve asked a question about some of the old, and that being without Rakitic, in limbo anymore because you know he was being held out and the club was pretty uh, upfront about this he was being held up because he was going to be transferred so now with Rakitic most likely back in the fold right what's our best midfield configuration and rotation going forward because Rakitic is going to be back out there but is he going to be used in the same way that he was he can't be because De Young is now a focal point there I, I would stick with the first game of the season I think De Young as defensive midfielder um, obviously being able to go wherever he wants or whatever he needs to, you know, sort of stuck there in the middle. But that for sure. And I think Alanya is is the future. I think Alanya can do a lot and can do a lot very well. And what he doesn't know how to do yet, he can grow into it. And I think Sergio Roberto is, is very good there as well. You know, I think that he understands the Barca system perfectly. He definitely knows what the right back should do because he's been doing it for the last two years. Um, I think his final passing is great. Um, I think his ability to take on defenders is also very strong. And I think that his decision-making, especially in terms of assisting, is also great. So I think that that's my that's my three. Obviously, you've got others that should be pushing forward in terms of Arthur, for example. I think um, Rakitic would push as well. I think Arturo Vidal has a place as well. But for me, in La Liga especially, I would play those three and then see see where the growth takes you. And maybe maybe in two, three months' time, the, the answer is different. But I will start with those and let them grow. You know, I'm interested to see what a midfield three of Arter, De Young, and Rakitic would look like. Uh, simply because I think Arter, we haven't really seen him, you know, fully express himself this season. And when he came on against Osasuna, he was a different maker, uh, difference maker. But if he can physically get himself right, 
I, I think Arter's ability to dribble and not necessarily keep possession with the, the pausa that the pausa that everyone complimented when he showed up, but Arter's ability to move forward a little bit, and then De Young's ability to move forward a little bit and dribble with, into space uh, is really important to just opening up spaces for everybody uh, on the team in ways that Rakitic and Busquets that combination just doesn't do anymore. And it's not that I, I, it'd be interesting to me again to see De Young playing that defensive midfield role that he does that he has done for Ajax in the Netherlands, and then have Rakitic basically play the Rakitic role that he would alongside Busquets, but Busquets and De Jong, as we've seen, are different players. Um, and I, I know it's, it's it sounds crazy to put Busquets on, on the bench, but I'm just saying that uh, maybe our best three might be De Jong, Busquets, and, I again, a cop-out here. I, I have a question mark for that third person. Who who brings the best, the third guy, maybe Arter, is the one that brings the best out of De Jong and Busquets together. But I am interested to th- to see the uh, midfield three of Rakitic, De Jong, and Arter. Not saying it's the best, but again, it, it's, it's the one that I, ha- I think would answer a ton of questions about a bi- uh, Barcelona's ability to get the best out of their forward line as well as support the, the back line as well. Dan, in that as well, just, just to add, we can answer in a different way. I think when you got a midfield with Rakitic and Busquets, in, in it, it's just too easy to defend against because yeah. they're not as quick as they were before. Certainly, Busquets ne- was never really that quick. He was just very intelligent, and he still is, to be fair. But um, I think when you got Rakitic and Busquets together, they are just not speedy enough, they're not mobile enough, they're not surprising enough, and that's something we should avoid. Any other combination, maybe with one of them included, is better. Yep, yeah, I agree with that completely. I don't think we should see Rakitic and Busquets together anymore. But with the schedule so tight over the next few weeks, we can expect to see pretty much everybody, or should be seeing pretty much everybody. Uh, Abbas has a question, particularly about the match against Dortmund coming up next week. Should Valverde park the bus in the match against Dortmund and play for the draw? And it kind of does relate to a question from Andre. The upcoming schedule is brutal under the current form of the team. Which fixtures should we secure points from? And based on those results, what point should fans confidently take a sigh or relief? Uh, or should fans hit the panic button? And the, what that upcoming schedule is, the next few matches here, we have Valencia on the weekend at home, Dortmund away next week, then Granada the following weekend away, Villarreal at home that that following week, uh, midweek, and then Hatafe on the road to end September. And then October is home matches against Inter in the Champions League and Sevilla in the Champions League. I mean, uh, rather, Liga at home. So in with those, I, what I see here with these next few matches, I think Dortmund on the road, again, the way that Champions League works, especially in that group with Inter and Dortmund, uh, I think you if, if Barcelona win all their home matches and get some kind of draw on the road with that kind of group is going to be enough to secure first place. And that's the goal in the Champions League group stage. It's a secure first place. So uh, I think it is good if they get the result. But for Valverde, Barcelona doesn't play best when they park the bus. When they park the bus like they did against Liverpool, that's when they can get overrun because of the age of the squad. So they just have to play their game. uh, And under no circumstance should Barcelona ever be a squad because of just the the individuals that they have. Should they ever park the bus? Um, They should you know, again, be confident defensively against the likes of Jaden Sancho and uh, Paco Alcacer, who I, I think might have uh, something of a surprise for Barcelona. Uh, hopefully Langley, who's been absolutely terrific for France and for Barcelona, and then Pique, uh know his game because of practicing. But then the other one, uh, Hadafe at the end of the month, I, I circle that one as a way at Hadafe in Madrid, uh, a difficult 
a difficult team to play against, and a, uh, for a team that is injured as Barcelona is, as much as they are, Hadafe is the worst team to play when your team is banged up because they will continue to kick you. They will read, you know, when when Hadafe reads a scouting report, they don't read, oh, um, Messi scored X number of goals. They read Messi has a bad right calf or bad left calf this season. So that's the scouting report that Hadafe seems to seems to uh, seems to read. And it, it's it's a disservice to say that they're just a team that's going to try to pound you into the ground, but they have their plan, their game plan, and it's so radically different than what the rest of La Liga tries to do and the rest of Spain tries to do they do get results in Spanish football uh, and so those are the two for me Dortmund and Hitafe that I think points could be lost and for everybody else Barcelona dominates Valencia at the Camp Nou again they have a, a different coach so go at them Granada they've been actually pretty good so far in the Liga but they are promoted side Barcelona needs to take care of business get all three points even if it's on the road uh, then Villarreal same thing uh, they have not been the same squad that we know from uh, from recent decades so Villarreal you have to take points off them and then Inter and Sevilla to start the month Barcelona have had Sevilla in their pocket recently so continue that up as well and by that time in October Messi and and co should all be healthy so they should be at full strength to be able to take it to Sevilla that's how I you know forecast it all Frances but as we know I'll let you go on the panic button or when we can do that sigh of relief because again this is just conjecture I don't know they all might be wins they all might be losses and if that's the, the point then we all take a we can all take the panic button pretty quickly there yeah, no, you, you answered that very well. Um, I got very little to add just to say that we are FC Barcelona, we are Barca. You know, we've got a fantastic squad. We have signed several good players, particularly this summer, and we should go to every match trying to win it. You know, I, I, don't, see, I don't see why Barca should be parking the bus in any way, shape or form. Uh, I think the fact that we're even considering that Barca will park the bus is quite embarrassing, to be honest. Um, I've been following Barca from the day I was born. And I've never heard of us parking the bus, so I don't even know how that can possibly be in our fan bases sort of heads right now. Um, that's probably with Valverde. Um, and people have been Valverdeized, I guess. But no, no way. We we go to win. And in terms of um, managing workload and and game time, we got what we got twenty really good players. We got La Masia players time to come through. Obviously, Fati is now included. Um, he's got a dorsal. He's got a number, which is great. Carlos Perez has been playing and, you know, when Messi and Suarez comes back, he will still want to be playing and because he deserves it, basically. And we just spoken about six, seven, eight different midfielders who could be starting. And we haven't even mentioned Ricky Puch, who is going to be hopefully further developing at Barca B level. We're stacked. We've got a fantastic squad and we're playing six teams who, with all due respect, they're not, not better than us. Nowhere near as good as us. So we should go and win every single game. And... If the mentality is different, then that's not the Barca that we all love. We should go and aim for the win. That's it. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, now, some of the complications that Armin brings up. Question here, Frances. Would you take not winning the league this year in exchange for young La Masia talents, getting enough playing time and fitting into the first team? No. No, I would take both. I would take winning La Liga with La Masia <laughs> players playing. Yeah. So it's quite simple. The thing is, We've got enough quality coming through. Um, um, actually, this is a, a bit related. I don't know if it's terribly related, but I'm going to share it anyway because I like sharing with you guys. Um, I obviously live here in Doha, in Qatar. We've got the Spanish under-17s under playing here on Saturday and I think it's next Tuesday. And in the Spanish um, national team for under-17s, there are, I think it's five or six um, La Masia players 
Um, the under-21s as well, they're full of La Masia players as well, and the under-19s as well. So I, I think thinking that because we play La Masia players, we're not going to win the league, I think is the wrong way to go about it. You know, we won the league with Xavi and Iniesta, and before that with Amor and Guardiola and Lopez Recarte and, and all sorts of players. Um, and, and I think that if you do play La Masia players, you may have, as I said before, I said it before in this episode already, you may have a little bit of hiccups at the start, but if you trust people who know how to play a system, and that's uh, what I said about Alan Jan, Sergio Roberto combining, because they know each other's game inside out. And even if they haven't played together sort of personally too much, Alan Jan's been playing with people like Sergio Roberto all of his career. And, and that is the key when you've got um, a team of players and in any institution, but definitely in a football team that understand the game the same way and have got the same background, that is going to work. And, if you put the young in it, he's from Ajax, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If you want to even um, go a bit deeper, Ajax is probably more direct than Barca actually are. And that's a great thing. So I think you win La Liga with La Masia players because we've done it before a thousand times and we can do it again. Yeah, Ajax also have the license to do that because they do play in the Eredivisie. So the minnows of the Eredivisie, it's, it's a, uh, a little bit simpler to get some points there than it might be in the Liga. Now, speaking of La Masia, we're going to talk about Alenia in particular here from questions from Pancho and Christopher. Uh, if Suarez and Messi don't make the squad, would it make more sense if Valverde went for a 4-4-2 with Griezmann and Perez or Fati instead of a traditional 4-3-3 with Valencia's high press? Uh, he thinks that a more defensive midfield will help here, also lacking creative wingers to operate a 2-4-3-3. And we have seen the 4-4-2 from Valverde, but more so in his first season here. And that's a question that I do want to ask here, Frances, that... Carlos Alenia, now two seasons ago, did play uh, 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 quite often on the wing for Barcelona B. Mm -hmm. And just like Alex Callado yep. and Iniesta, I, we remember Iniesta was the same way, where these central midfielders for Barcelona have an ability to play on the wing. So I am, that's my big question here. And then Christopher adding that in about uh, Alenia, that reading that the board was trying to loan out Alenia for the season before the transfer window closed, but Valverde stopping it, might this have played a role in Alenia not appearing in the first three games of the season after being dropped after the, the uh, what was a not very good performance by a lot of players in the opener? Does it change the, the midfield plans? And again, I wonder, yeah, my question here is uh, Alenia, could we see him on the wing at all? Um, or is Perez or Fati, who are more natural at that position, and again, Fati just 16, but for all for everything we're hearing is that Valverde and everybody trusts that even at 16, Fati is good enough to be put in the positions that he's already being put in. And But is a 16-year-old in that situation better than putting Alenia, not in his best position, but in a position he's played before, out on the wing? Yeah, I'm going to so not duck the question, but I'm going to put it on hold a second. Um, if I heard correctly, you asked whether the board was trying to loan Alanya out and then Valverde stopped it. Is that what you said? I mean, that's what there was one report on, but, you know... That's what... nonsense. Yeah, right. That's nonsense. That is utter nonsense. So I don't know where that report came from, but basically what that implies is that the board is doing things that the sporting directors and, and the coach don't want. That is nonsense. You know, uh, uh, if anyone can give me any evidence that that actually happened, then so be it. But... I, I think that is 
yeah, I think that doesn't make any yeah, well, you, sense you bring, whatsoever. You bring up a good point about that. Is that because it's the international break and we're nearing the last few days of the international break, these are when those stories come out. So I always do want to add a caveat there that uh, the last few days of the international break or when the summer news is over, that is when everything doesn't make sense and, and everybody's just trying to sell papers. I agree, friends. Yeah, yeah, I mean, whether whether Anya had offers to be loaned out and to be transferred, I don't doubt that because the guy is fantastic and he's young and he's got a lot of talent and definitely potential, but... The fact that the ball was trying to get rid of him and the coach stopped it, I, I don't believe that. Um, sorry. But regardless, the the winger thing. So I think that, obviously, as you said, Iniesta used to play as a winger and then he became more comfortable playing as an interior, which obviously is where he excelled and he's one of the best ever, if not the best ever, um, playing for Barca at that position. I, I think that, honestly, unless Messi and Suarez come back and uh, or until they do that, I think you play uh, Car- Carlos Perez. He's been great. Mm-hmm. He's deserved it. He's like a little Pedro, you know, and you just have to trust him. He's done. He's been given the trust. He's done nothing wrong to lose his position. And he he tracks back when needed. But most importantly, he does something that a lot of players, even more experienced and signed for a lot of millions, don't do, which is actually trying to dribble. Because in the final attacking third, the advantage is created by dribbling. You know, that's why people want Neymar so bad. That's why people like Dembele are so effective and they're so expensive. People like, I don't know, Mbappé or even Eden Hazard, they, they, are, they are unbalancers. They, they change the balance of the game by dribbling someone because when you go past a defender and you eliminate that one and you sort of leave him behind, that creates so many advantages and that creates so many spaces because you know, someone's going to have to cover, say Perez dribbles someone, someone's going to have to come and cover him. That's going to create at least two gaps that people like Suarez or Griezmann, for example, should and normally are able to exploit. So Perez has been great. He's been very brave at attempting. He knows his um, he knows his role, which is beating defenders to create superioridades, superiorities in English. And I think you trust him until someone of the caliber of Messi or Suarez come back. You just trust trust La Masia and see where that takes you. Yeah, and I do want to end and wrap this up by saying that that's the whole point that I think a lot of guys like Perez and we've seen academy prospects, they do wilt under the pressure of playing with Messi because it becomes a lot of give the ball to the number 10 and let him go to work and then be this uh, supplemental piece on the field. But, you know, once Messi comes back, when Perez is, becomes a bench player and he's no longer going to be given that kind of license, and that's fine. But while Messi is on the bench, then Perez uh, having the license to dribble in that way and express himself that's when you're going to see the best out of him when Messi is not. Uh, it, this is one of those examples where you're going to see the best out of him when Messi is not there, which you can't be can't be said for for the team as a whole, but can be said for an individual like Perez. And in the in the time being before Messi does return, Barcelona again is just trying to get as many points and still get the same kind of results. I know I'm rewinding a lot today, but when Puyol started playing for Barca, you know, when obviously um, under Fanjal, right? He was not that good. You know, he was playing. In, he played for Barca, obviously, in the youth system as well. But he was not, not, not really a defender. He was more of a midfielder. And when he started playing for the first team, before him, it was Luis Enrique that was actually playing a lot um, as a right back. Obviously, Luis Enrique is a winger, but obviously Van Gaal had these things. He used to do weird stuff. But what he really did do well was trusting, trusting the talent. And when Puyol came on, he was just a very strong, very hard-working, very conscientious guy who happened to be put on right back because that's what the first team needed him to be. And he was not great with passing. In fact, Puyol never really was great with passing, was he? But he wasn't, he wasn't sort of 
your finesse uh, first Barca class player, he was a rock. He was someone who would work hard and he would do what the manager needs. Um, I read an interview with uh, Juan Capdevila today. Um, I know I'm digressing a bit here, but Juan Capdevila, who obviously is a world champion uh, with Spain, played for Villarreal, Espanol, whatever. He said, I know my limitations in his interview. And when I played for Spain, all I did is stop the ball or you know, try and steal the ball and just pass it to somebody else. He knew his limitations. Carlo Puyol knew exactly what to do. And he knew how, how the team needed him to be. So, so going back to the original point, if the manager has chosen a La Masia player to start, there has to be a reason for it. He must have seen a glimpse of greatness there. And until proven wrong, you just stick with it. And because traditionally, over the last 20, 30 years, these homegrown players have excelled and grown to a much larger degree than any of the of the signings we've, we've done. And Perez has done nothing wrong. He needs to be trusted. Yeah, and I think I'm going to upset everybody by ending this uh, with the compliment of Alverde, the fact that it took a lot of courage and bravery, the same that I asked at the beginning of the season, where I yelled that Valverde had to be brave. Well, it's been brave to put uh, a 16-year-old on to start the second half of a match against Osasuna, where you're trailing. Uh, that took a lot of bravery from Valverde, and if he continues to be brave in this way, I think Barcelona are going to get good results. Uh, and for as much criticism as he does deserve, rightfully deserves, and he might get more criticism if they don't get the results here. But for all his issues that Valverde does have in getting the best out of Barcelona, uh, he is showing a little bit of bravery this season, uh, and that does give me hope that, as we mentioned, that it might not have to be La Masia products or winning the league. I think some of those things might both be possible. So I, I think we're in there with, with Puyol and uh, me accidentally giving a compliment to Valverde uh, by thanking you, the listeners here, for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group, where you got all of these LaRonda questions from, is tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions. You can also help us out on Patreon, where, again, because of the international break, I did a Barca Femini review, and uh, usually those are just, again, the first team, the Liga and Champions League, Copa del Rey. Every first team match is up there at tbpod.link backslash Patreon for as low as I believe it's just a dollar. We'll get you those quick take match reviews that come out after every match. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast, uh, and by say, well, also now, there's a number of videos about the history of Catalonia, so if you want to uh, celebrate the Bonadiata. Well, I have one about Josep Sinyol. I have one about Juan Gamper, the Gamper Trophy, and the history of those kind of things, as well as this week's episode, which was all about the international break and the, the, the pros and cons of the international break for Barcelona. So check us out there on YouTube and hit that subscription button. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Forza! The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. 
You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.